everybody. My name is Kyla. Uh, me and my family have been going to Glad Tidings for two and a half, three years. Um, I work up in the sound booth with our children. I'm also on the worship team. Um, also, if you guys haven't been to the empty chair service, I really recommend going. Even if you haven't lost somebody in the past couple years, uh, me and my family lost somebody really close to us about seven years ago. And we've, we always like going. It's really fun. Um, will you guys please stand? We're going to be reading from Judges 13, 1 through 5. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed, handed them over to the Philistines, who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to give children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine nor any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be a dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Amen. We begin today our series, our Advent series, and it is titled Miraculous Births in the Shadow of the Manger. And we're going to look at three different people that in uh, the Old Testament and one in the New Testament that in a very interesting and unique way, they reveal the coming of the Messiah. And it, with each one of these births, what we're discovering and what we're finding is that God has a plan always and that he can work through our brokenness and our weakness. How many of you are thankful for that? Amen. And so we're, we're going to see that. Um, along with it, I, I don't know if this shocks you or surprises you, but it's the Christmas season. <laughs> it's just right around the corner. So it, it, maybe you need to uh, be, be thinking about that and prepping for that. But it's, it, it feels every year like this season gets so quick, so chaotic, so the schedules are insane. So what I want to encourage all of us this year is to just take a moment, take a deep breath, and focus on what really matters. Let's not let this season so quickly pass us by that we miss out on the importance and the beauty of the fact that we're to contemplate the king of kings came to rescue us. He came near to each and every one of us. But will you go with me this morning in prayer to the Father? And what I want to challenge us is to, to simply pray and believe that God's got something in store for us today. I... God wants to move in our lives, even in the midst of our brokenness and weakness. We're going to uncover a man today that uniquely reveals who Jesus is, even in the midst of his incredible brokenness. We're going to look, and this is going to maybe shock you and surprise you a little bit at Advent. We're going to look at the life of Samson, and we're going to see how his story uniquely reveals the coming of Jesus. So will you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you. Jesus, we invite your presence into this place today. We ask you to speak. Lord, we know that your word, it's mighty, it's powerful. God, it can do its perfect work. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask, will you come and speak to us? Will you once again, in a most beautiful way, reveal the very incredible beauty of Jesus? And that our hearts would be quickened. And that we would, in turn, allow our lives to reflect and reveal you. In the mighty, most holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. 
The, the story we're going to uncover today is of Samson, and to a degree, you almost get a picture in the Old Testament of someone who it feels like, as you read the text, like they had a version of this, like Samson had super strength. There, we'll uncover a moment in his life where he goes toe-to-toe with a lion, grabs the lion by the jaws, and rips it apart. Like, I don't know about you, but if I could like fast, like rewind the tape and go see some things in the Old Testament, that would be on my list. <laughs> just to watch Samson be like, just ripping that line. That'd be incredible to witness and watch. But what I want us to think about is we're going to uncover in this series three different individuals, two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, um, that are miraculous births, okay? And this is why we we're titling the series Miraculous Births in the Shadow of the Manger. And at the front end of this message, I want us to break just even the title of the series down a little bit to understand the why to where we're heading. Each one of these births that we're gonna find is truly and utterly miraculous. Miraculous means this, occurring through divine or supernatural intervention or manifesting that type of power. It's something that is not natural. It's something that is supernatural. It's not something we see every single day. And each one of these different individuals, they reveal that. We're gonna look at Samson. We're going to look at Samuel, and we're going to look at John the Baptist, and we're going to see how each one of these individuals and their miraculous births pointed towards the true and coming greatest miraculous birth with Jesus, the Son of God, being born to the Virgin Mary. Now, I want you to think about that word miraculous with me. and I want to read to you one more time. It says this, In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan He lived in the town of Zorah, and his wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. If we can just go to that next slide. Um, We're seeing here that it's miraculous. This is not something, when you read that and it says um, his wife was unable to become pregnant, this isn't like um, they're still working on it, they're trying to figure it out, like all that. This is essentially saying there is no chance. This is a womb that is barren, is unable to produce children. And in each one of these scenarios, both with Samson, with Samuel, and with John the Baptist, that was the case. And the point that God is making is that I can bring the impossible, I can see the impossible, and I can bring the possible out of it. I can see where it just looks like death, and I can bring life. God still does that to this day. I've had the chance in my life to see a couple miraculous things. Um, One of those is my mom was healed of terminal cancer. The doctors looked at her and they were like, you've got just months to live. You need to say goodbye to your kids, goodbye to your family. You're going to probably be gone by Christmas. And my mom's sitting in the back row today. She's still alive. Like medical didn't do it. Drugs didn't do it. Nothing, Nothing fixed it. God did it. The other one is I was at church camp. And I don't know if you know this about your pastor, but I'm just slightly competitive. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more than slightly. I do not like to lose. But it, it, it was team game time, and we were there, and uh, we had like, it was a tug of war, and it was like the guys versus the guys on these team. And so I had like this hoss of a football player on my team. And so I put him at the tail end, and I was like, now listen, you know, you got to carry our team. We've got to win this. But I made sure before we started, I said, whatever you do, do not wrap that rope around your hand. If you've ever done tug of war before, you know exactly why. That will destroy you. That tension on the line. Well, he thought he was bigger and stronger than I realized. And so what did he do? He wrapped the rope around his hand. So we win. And I think that's important for us to note. Um, 
<laughs> we, we won that tug of war. And I'm sitting there celebrating, and I hear this, like, blood-curdling scream. And I turn around, and he's laying on the ground, and he's writhing in pain. And I come running over there. And as I'm getting close to him, the kid who was next to him on the line, he looks at me, and he goes, he wrapped it around his hand. And I'm like, oh, no. And I look down, and, I mean, his wrist, like, his knuckle is starting to balloon up. And, I mean, it's out to, like, here. And I'm sitting here like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, we're going to have to take him to the hospital. We're going to have to, like, it's obviously he broke this. Like, it's, I mean, it's just ballooning up. And he's just sitting there just shaking in pain. So as they're getting ready to, like, call his parents, call the hospital, get everything around, I get the kids around. I'm like, listen, we need to pray right now. And so we, we held hands. We wrapped around him. And I put my hand on him, and we started to pray. I kept my eyes open because I, I wanted to make sure he didn't pass out. Like, as we're praying, you know, I'm like, I don't want all of us to be interceding to the Father, and he's just laying there on the ground. You know what I mean? Like, there like, was a faith and responsibility all at the same moment, right? You know, so, so we're praying for him, but I'm watching as we're praying, and his hand just goes completely back to normal. And as I'm praying, I'm just like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like, I'm watching a miracle happen in my midst. But the nature of a miracle is it's not common, it's not every day. It's supernatural. It happens outside of what is common and normal and natural. And what we're going to see is every single birth in this series is miraculous. Every single one of these, whether it was Samson, whether it was Samuel, whether it was John the Baptist, they're there was a zero possibility that a birth could come from this situation and an even greater degree of zero percent because when you get to Mary, she's a virgin. I don't know if you know this, but that's never happened. Virgins don't get pregnant. Like it's happened once in the entire history of the world and it happened with Mary. And it was because God was showing I can provide and create the miraculous. I can do the absolute impossible from what you think is just never going to happen. What we see is this, is that death or even the impossible life comes from. And that, that life that came from it, it was meant to bless more than just that family, but all of God's people. So miraculous births in the shadow of the manger. So we looked at miraculous. Now let's look at shadow. And this is what it has to say. It says, for he, this is talking about Samson, will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. And he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. I want you to think with me just for a moment about the concept of a shadow. A shadow is an imperfect image or outline of the perfect image. A shadow is a reflection that is cast off that you can kind of see the shape, you can see the outline, you can't see the true colors, you can't see what's really fully making it. It's giving you a glimpse at what the real object is. And so what we see here in these Old Testament births and in the, the birth of John the Baptist is we're getting a glimpse God is allowing us to see just fractions of what the coming Messiah was to do and who he was to become what he was to accomplish, but they're not the perfect image. In fact, they're imperfect people reflect, reflecting a perfect savior. And can I tell you something? The same is true with you and me. We are imperfect people, and our prayer should be, God, take my broken life and somehow reflect Jesus through it. Let it be a shadow. Let it be an image to the world of, of who you really are. 
shadows are, are important. And we're going to look at these three different ones. And we're going to see how they reflect the perfect image of Jesus, Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. But to understand them, we've got to understand another aspect, and it's the Nazarite vow. We read about it today, and um, we're going to read about it here in just a second from Numbers chapter 6. But these three individuals were all three individuals who were a part of the Nazarite vow. So read with me here from Numbers chapter 6. This is Moses, and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any of the people, either men or women, take the special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way, this is some of the things, and there's more than this. This is just a fraction of it. It says, they must give up wine and other alcoholic drinks. They must not use vinegar made from wine or from alcoholic drinks, and they must not drink fresh grape juice. They must not eat grapes or raisins. As long as they are bound by the Nazarite vow, they are not allowed to eat or drink anything that comes from a grapevine, not even the grape, the seeds, or the skin. Um, other things that they couldn't do is they couldn't, like, touch a corpse, a dead body. Um, they, another really important one is for the, the time frame of their vow, they would not cut their hair at all. It would be completely left without any, like, scissors, any of that stuff would, would go and touch it. What's interesting is that when you look at this, the, the, the Nazarite vow, the, the, the root word is Nazir, and it's the Hebrew word that it reflects a lot the Hebrew word for holy. Nazir means to be set apart, consecrated, to be separate for a purpose. And so what we would see is this vow could be taken by different individuals. And I want us to break down just a few of the different elements. Number one, it had to be voluntary. So it was a vow that anyone in Israel could take for a specified time period dedicated to the Lord. And anyone could take it, men or women. So that's the second part. It could be voluntary, taken by men or women. It had a specific time period. So in other words, they would refrain from these things. They would refrain from cutting their hair. They would refrain from the drinking alcoholic drinks. They would refrain from all these different things until the vow was complete. So they would say, God, I'm taking this Nazarite vow for this specified time, and I'm going to follow these strict rules in the midst of it to keep myself set apart, to keep myself holy, to be used for your purposes for this time period. So it had a specific time period, and then it had specific requirements, and it would conclude with a sacrifice. The person would come to the temple, and they would offer a sacrifice that was a burnt offering, a sin offering, a peace offering, cakes without yeast. Again, this concept of holy, set apart. But then they had this last part that was really interesting. At the completion of their vow, they would come into the temple, and they would actually have their head shaved. And they would lay their hair on the altar as a sign of the completion of their vow. So today we've decided to bring that back. Everyone in the audience. No, I'm <laughs> Someone's like, oh, i got to go to the bathroom, Pastor. I'll be back. <laughs> no. But I want you to think about this with me, why, why that would be the case. And the answer is, is because their hair was an incredible sign to the growth in the time period that they had been set apart for God. It was a visible representation of, I gave that time of my life to God. I can physically see it. 
Like that's what I gave unto him. Like, and and I, I was set apart for that length of time for his purpose, for his, for his will, for his leading, for, for whatever the vow was specifically that you were making. Now, the only thing that's really interesting and different about the three individuals we're talking about um, in this series is these are the only three that scripture records that they started the Nazarite vow from birth. That their entire life was to be lived underneath the Nazarite vow. As if to say, my whole life, God, is set apart, it's sacred, it's designed for you and for your kingdom to be used for you. From the moment that God created that miraculous birth in their life, they were to be set apart for him. And can I tell you something? From the moment you received your new birth, you were designed to be set apart for the kingdom of God. To live your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We see this. So we're going to take a look today at the first of these three, Samson, and we're going to see how he is a shadow of the coming Messiah. He is specifically a shadow of the deliverance that is coming. Listen to what happens here. It says, Judges chapter 13, 5 says, You will become pregnant and you will give birth to a son. And his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Judges chapter 13, verse 5. The setting of this verse is the book of Judges. I don't know if you know much about the book of Judges, but I'm just going to let you know. um, If you're tired and sleepy, and Judges is not the book to go to. (laughs) Go to Leviticus. Go read some, <laughs> some law. You'll get lulled to sleep maybe a little bit quicker. But you go to Judges, you're going to have some nightmares. <laughs> Judges is a book that basically it's God's way of saying, okay, you want to live on your own apart from my rule, apart from my law. You want to decide what's right in your own eyes. This is what it's going to look like. And it's not good. Like we love in our culture the Disney movies and things like that. That's like, and then they lived happily ever after. Judges does not end with a, and they lived happily ever after. Judges, the final chapter ends with the nation of Israel at civil war where uh, an entire tribe is almost completely destroyed, like decimated from their ranks. It's, it, seriously, it's, 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 a, it's a book of absolute brokenness where God's people are chasing anything and everything but God, and God's like, okay, so this is what it's going to look like. Utter chaos and brokenness and despair. But it's also an incredibly beautiful book. Because in the midst of, like, the nations of, of Israel's, like, dark, dark moments, you constantly see glimmers of hope where they're like, God, I don't know how I got myself here. I don't understand. Like, we're so hurt. We're so broken. We're, we're under bondage of other people because of our sins. Please help us. And every single time, God responds by giving them a judge who steps into their moment of history and uniquely brings deliverance and victory for them as God's way of saying, even in your unfaithfulness, I remain faithful. Even in your weakness, I'm strong. And so Samson... His story is a shadow of the deliverance that is to come through King Jesus. It's a shadow of what's coming because he will save and help bring deliverance for uh, the people of God from the Philistines. Jesus will come and bring deliverance for us from our sin, the true and ultimate one. 
Samson, though, <laughs> I hope you know this if you know anything about your Bible, he was an imperfect deliverer. Samson was a hot mess. That's the best way I could put it. Um, he was meant to be set apart from birth. And he would do imperfectly what Christ would do perfectly. He would use his life to try to bring deliverance to God's people, but by doing it constantly and perfectly, whereas Christ would come to do it perfectly. And what I love about this is, like, he, he took certain parts of the Nazarite vow very seriously, like you, in fact, the one moment where his life basically comes to a, a, a sad conclusion is um, he allows someone that he trusted, Delilah, to know some privy information that his source of strength comes from his hair. Not that like his hair was like magical. Like it's not like, what is it, Rapunzel? It's not that situation. No, <laughs> we don't got a Rapunzel thing going on here. It, it, it's the sign of the fact that saying, hey, this is my, my life in service to God. When he gives her that information and she ultimately uses it against him, you know, his hair he took seriously, like very seriously. He was like, don't touch the locks. Like, I got some product in this. Like, <laughs> like, like there's some time spent, like, you know, you back up, you know. Like, like, but then there was other parts of the Nazarite vow he didn't take so seriously. Like, for instance, um, he wasn't supposed to touch anything that was dead. At one point in time in his story, he eats honey out of a lion's carcass. First of all, weird. Like, why would you, you know, why would you do that? But yet he, he does that. And so there, there's parts of He's an imperfect deliverer. He doesn't get it right. In fact, a lot of times he gets it wrong. And that should be very, very comforting for you and me today. Because so do you. And so do I. We aren't King Jesus. We aren't perfect. We're an imperfect shadow of the incredible beauty of God. And so was Samson. He didn't always get it right. He was a man that was full of brokenness and specifically lust and constantly made wrong decisions. But he also had a heart to see God's people be rescued and restored. See, Samson was meant to bring deliverance and he was meant to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Read this with me. It says, as Samson and his parents, I love this, we're going down to Timnah. A young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. First of all, bad day for the lion. At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were just a young goat. That would be a cool biblical scene to have seen. But what's important for us to realize is this, is that Samson is not like what we have often made him out to in our mind. It's not like this guy who's just got muscles upon muscles upon muscles that's just ripped and like constantly strong. Like it's because why? At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. His source of strength came from the Holy Spirit, not his abilities. He was met to bring deliverance through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, at his baptism, what happens? The Spirit descends like a dove, rests powerfully upon him, and his ministry starts, and he goes, and he does. He says, I do whatever I see the Father doing, and I say whatever I see the Father saying. He allowed himself to live like we have to live in constant dependence on God the Father and the Holy Spirit. You see, we know for a fact that... Um, 
it had everything to do with the Spirit of the Lord because Samson, he's going to trust Delilah with some privy information. And there's going to become a moment where he basically tells her, look, if you, if you cut my hair, then I will lose all my strength. And she does. But it says he pops back up and he's just like ready to go because he's assuming I've got what it takes. But it's different this time because the spirit of the Lord has left him. And where he used to be able to put hundreds to flight, he can't even put a few to flight. He's not what we saw in the comics. The whole point was this. It's to illustrate how God's power can be revealed through our weakness. I hear people say to me all the time, Pastor Josh, you don't understand. Like, like, if you knew my past, if you knew, like, there's just no way God can use me. Is it worse than Samson's? Is it worse than the Apostle Paul's? The Apostle Paul's life was literally dedicated to destroying Jesus and the church. That was his sole mission. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He goes, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Samson was imperfect and so are we. Samson's power was derived from the Holy Spirit. So must ours. If we're going to be used for the kingdom of God, if we're going to be people on mission for him, if we're going to see a difference being made in this world, we have to be people who are reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. Saying, God, I need you. I don't have what it takes. But you do. Samson was in, put new ropes around me that's never been used, then I'll just instantly lose my strength. Guess what? He wakes up from his nap and there's new ropes around him. Put two and two together. Like, seriously. But instead, he snaps him and he beats up the guys that were trying to, like, come and take him. And then she's just, like, crying. Oh, Samson, you lied to me. I'm like, yeah, because you're horrible. <laughs> like, I, I, you obviously can't be trusted. Like, are you kidding me? But no, he just keeps going back and back and back. And every single time, it's this sob story. Just tell me the real thing. I don't know how that previous one happened, really, because you're the only person I told that to. And part of us, we read through these stories and we're just like, like, Samson, what are you? But hold on a moment. Do we not do that all the time? How many times have you gone back to something that you knew was bad for you? How many times have you listened to the lie one more time? It'll be different this time. How many times have you bought into the trick of the enemy of just compromise. Just let's not be too hard on Samson because we've all been there. The truth is, is that he trusted Delilah, someone he never should have, someone he thought he loved, and she betrayed him. And really interesting in that moment, he paints a picture forward of what the ultimate deliverer would do. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, would be betrayed by Judas, a close friend. Handed into the hands of his enemies, humiliated before them. Just as they cut Samson's hair, they would rip out Jesus' beard. Just as Delilah, the reason she turned him in, she did it for pieces of silver. Guess what Judas did? He did pieces of silver. You're getting this this picture of that the coming true deliverer will be betrayed by someone that he, he, he loves but did not love him. 
and handed into the hands of his enemies. But this is what I love. The imperfect shadow, Samson, he was destroyed by his lust and his failure. But the perfect image, Jesus, was destroyed for our lust and our failure. Samson was betrayed because of his own brokenness. Jesus was betrayed because of your brokenness and mine. He willingly came and was willingly betrayed because he said, I want to be this close to you. What I love, it doesn't stop there. Samson's greatest act of deliverance was in his sacrificial death. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the pagan temple that he was in. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. And scripture will go on later to say there that in that moment, Samson killed more of his enemies in that singular moment than in the entirety of his whole life. Samson's greatest act of deliverance came in the midst of his sacrificial death. As he was brought out to be paraded in front of his enemies, to be jeered and mocked, they placed him at the center of their attention so they could laugh and mock him. And what did he do? Extended his arms, placed them upon the posts that were next to him, much like our Savior stretched out his hands on Calvary. And in his death, he paved the way for deliverance. The perfect king of kings gave of his life, stretching out his hands with nail scars on both sides to conquer your enemies and mine. Death, hell, the grave to give you power over temptation and the things that, that play into that. I want you to, to wrestle with this fact that, that, listen to me, what Samson was doing imperfectly, Jesus was doing perfectly. He, he got himself into this mess. Jesus got himself into the mess for our mess. It, it was a reflection. It was an echo. And I love this because Samson's imperfect life was meant to be a picture. It was ours. Did you catch that? His imperfect life was meant to be a picture of Jesus, and so is ours. I want you to think of it this way. Like, the, the shadow is kind of like an echo. The, the picture you get here is like Jesus stands in the center of the, the time of all of history with arms outstretched saying, I am the true deliverer. I am the place of salvation. I am the place of restoration. And in history's past, you've got Samson and you've got Samuel and you've got John the Baptist whose lives in a unique way, they're reverberating forward the truth of who Jesus is and what he's coming to do. And in an imperfect shadow, they're showing, hey, there is one coming who is a better deliverer than Samson. There's one coming who is better than the law given by Moses. There is one who's coming who's better than this broken sacrificial system who's going to be the greatest sacrifice the world has ever seen. There's one coming who can save us truly from the greatest enemy we face, our sin and ourself. His imperfect life was meant to be a picture of Jesus and so is yours. So many people, they're like, God, I, I know that you saved me, but I just, I don't see how you can use me. 
if God can use Samson, if God can use the Apostle Paul, he can use you. He's not scared of your past. He's not scared of your brokenness. He can allow his perfect life to come and reverberate from your life. And that's what we need this Christmas is a reminder that God is still in the deliverance business. God still comes to rescue, to save. Samson was set apart at birth. You were set apart at your new birth. Samson was used in his weakness. God can use you in yours as well. Samson's story did not end with his failure. God met him in his most broken moment. He saved and redeemed and restored him. God does this for you and for me as well. And Samson's strength was not tied to his ability, but to the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us. I can't tell you how thankful I am for that sentence. Because if it's tied to my ability, we're in some hot water. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. Like, if, God's, if God's ability to work through your life is tied to how good you are or your ability or your charisma or your talents or your giftings, you are always going to fail. In fact, you usually get into the situations you are because you tried to do it all on your own. And when we do that, when we try to accomplish and we try to conquer sin and temptation and the different things on me and mine and my ability and my strength, can I tell you something? How's it working? It's not working good. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. See, because there was a true deliverer that was coming. God's son, Jesus, he wasn't the shadow he was the image of the invisible God. And he brought true deliverance, not political or national. He brought deliverance from sin. And where we are imperfect, he is perfect. And where we have stumbled, he has taken that upon himself. This Christmas, one of the things that I'm really trying to, to just dwell in, to like center my thoughts in for a good length of time, how utterly scandalous it is that the king of kings came as a baby. Think about this with me. The brain behind the atom, the one who designed the DNA double helix, the one who looks at the ocean waves and says, you must go this far and stop and you can't go an inch further. The one who holds the very stars in their place. The one who has for the last thousands of years caused the earth to in perfect rotation constantly go around the sun and keeping it in that perfect alignment. Because if we were just a few miles closer to the sun, we would be like a burnt Pop-Tart. And if we were a little too many miles away from the sun right now, you would be an ice cube. In perfect alignment, he keeps it with the power of his word, who every night calls out the stars by name. The one who did that, watch this, listen to me. He allowed his diapers to be changed. Think about that. He willingly came to this earth and he couldn't even speak. He had to be taught how to use language. The one who holds the cosmos in his hands, stooped so low 
that the very first noise he ever made was the cry of an infant late at night. If there's no other degree that I can think of that associates the king of kings with us, he entered with a cry and he exited with a cry. And with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Your king came near. And he came near because he's the true deliverer. He came near to say, I'm with you. I see you in your brokenness. I see you in your pain. I see you in your fear. I see you in all these different things. And I'm the answer. But see, if that story is true, then what is also true is you and I have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to carry this message now into the future. If Jesus stands as the precipice of of both past and future, as the past, as Samson, even in his imperfection, he pointed to his saviors to say, hey, there's someone who is truly coming who will deliver you. As Samuel's going to do the same thing, as Moses did, as, as all these other faithful men, they pointed to a coming savior. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. Our life right now acts like a shadow that points back to the truth of who Jesus is. That you are met with your life to very reflect the fact that there is a Messiah who has come who can save us from our sins. There's one who has come and who's delivered me. And that our life then becomes like a reverberating shadow pointing people back to Jesus. As if to say, look to him. The true deliverer, he invites you and me into his continuing work. You and I carry a message. We carry a ministry to encounter those who are bound in darkness and to be a part of seeing them set free. And you're not going to get it right 100% of the time. Because there's a little bit of Samson that's in your DNA also. But thank God there's also the spirit of the living God breathing life into your soul giving strength to your mortal bodies. The question is this, this Christmas season, will you allow your life to be used for the sake of the kingdom? Will you stand with me this morning? I want us to pause and I want us to pray and I want us to ask something specific of the Holy Spirit today. You see, each one, Samuel, Samson, John the Baptist, they took the Nazarite vow vow from birth. Their whole life was to be set apart, sacred, consecrated to the Lord. The moment you received Jesus, a miraculous birth took place. The Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart. And new passions and new things came into play. And your life now is to (laughs) be a shadow that points back to the manger to what the true image looks like. 
And what I want us to do this morning is to welcome the Holy Spirit and invite him to do what only he can do. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to invite you into a prayer and into a specific ask of God. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak, to whisper this morning into every single heart and life in this room. And I believe that if you truly ask, he will answer. The Bible says if we ask for anything in his name, it will be done. That doesn't mean ask for a Corvette or (laughs) some other harebrained Christmas gift that you think you want. It's to ask something that's in alignment with the will of God. And I can promise you what we are about to ask is in perfect alignment with the will of God. So let's take him up at his word and let's believe he will answer. And what we're going to do is we're going to simply ask, God, I want you to put on my heart and across my mind. I want you to drop into my sphere right now. I want you to drop a name or a face of someone in my life that needs the truth of God's word. That needs to know that there's a deliverer who has come to rescue them from their sins. That there's, you would put in my heart right now today, Holy Spirit, that you would whisper someone that this Christmas season, you are challenging me to use my life to be a reflection of the cross. To point people to Jesus. We're going to pray that in just a second. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, before we can move on to that, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Perhaps there's someone here today that you've not put your full faith in Jesus. It could be you've never just made that decision, or maybe you've played the church game for a really long time. And today, the the Spirit of God is just whispering to you, and He's challenging you, and He's saying, I want you to be mine. And you want to be defined by what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You want to be forgiven, saved, set free, delivered from your sin and past. If that's you, this is your moment with Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to be able to pray with you. No one looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, would you just raise your hand in the air? I don't want to miss this opportunity for anybody. Thank you. Thank you. We pray this prayer with me. This is what the Bible says. It says that if we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And it says that if we confess him as our Lord and believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I can promise you this. It has absolutely nothing to do with your goodness, (laughs) your ability, your strength, because you will never have any of it enough to save yourself. Instead, it's placing your faith solely in the finished work of Jesus. It's in his ability. It's in his goodness. It's in his righteousness and innocence and perfection. As you look backwards to the cross, you're saying, Jesus, let the cross define me. And so as we pray this prayer, if you believe that in your heart, something is going to happen. You're going to be moved from death to life. Father, Lord, we come before you and we confess our sins. Lord, we are sinners. The very blood of our ancient ancestors, Adam and Samson, run in our own veins. There is a nature inside us that God, even, Lord, like Samson, we desire to run back to what we know is broken. And Lord, we trust in you today. We put our faith in you, King Jesus.
God, we confess our sins. We believe that you are the son of God. We believe that God raised you from the dead. And we believe that today, as we put our faith and trust in you and not in ourselves, that you are doing a perfect work of salvation. And so Lord, I pray for every hand that was raised both physically or in their heart, that today you would do the perfect work that only you can do. And that you would be their perfect deliverer. In the mighty name of Jesus. Second question I have is this. If you're here today and you're saying, I want my life to reflect Jesus. I want to be used like Samson, like Samuel, like John the Baptist, that my life would in an imperfect way point back to the perfect Savior. And today I'm saying, Holy Spirit, empower me and help me to do that. Even this week to have a conversation with someone Maybe that name that you dropped on, if that's you, would you just raise your hand in the air? God, I want to be used by you. Father, we come before you. God, with with hands high and hearts surrendered, we say, Jesus, would you use us? God, would you use us, Lord, today? Would you use us this week in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our imperfection to reveal the perfect nature of Jesus? And God, I pray, Lord, we, we are believing and asking for a move of God. We are praying that lives would be changed and stories would be altered. Lord, I pray that you'd even drop a name on us this week that we can invite to church next week with us, that Lord, they could hear the truth of how good you are. And that God, we would this week allow our lives to be used for the sake of your kingdom. We love you. with us this morning as we pray and ask God just to seal what he's been doing and speaking.